You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. I've invited Jack to come up. I invited Jack because Jack invited himself to come up. He said, I got something to say. I got a testimony to share. Uh, so we're going to ask Jack to come up, and uh, he's going to be sharing what God is doing in his heart right now with you. All right? There. I'll take my stuff. I knew that if I didn't write this down ahead of time, I would take way too long. (laughs) So I'm just going to read this. And it's what I want you to know is that this isn't about me. It's about what God has done and his restoration and and rescue. Um, And I may have a hard time getting through this without breaking down and crying. This all started way back in February 1997. Without going into a lot of detail, on February 12, 1997, I had experience with God that I will never forget. It was an encounter that I can hardly find the words to explain. I had left my farm with the intent of going to western Texas and then heading straight for Nashville to meet my sister and her family. I ended up in Florida instead, then later in Nashville. I don't want to take the time to explain, but God God divinely intervened and manipulated many things to get me to Florida where I had this encounter with him. I did not plan it. It was a divine setup. That was 22 years ago. It changed my life and ruined me for anything else. Now all these years have gone by and I have often thought about that experience and why God took me there and what it all meant. Last year was a very difficult year for me. I struggled so much and felt so much depression. I hated it when I woke up, but then I could not stand to go to sleep. Life just seemed so meaningless. I kept looking to God and calling on Him, but everything seemed in vain. When November came, I went on a trip to southeastern states, including Florida, and in Florida I met up with my oldest daughter who was staying down there for a while. During that time, I went back to the place where I had the encounter with God, and the memories came flooding into my mind and emotions. It shook me up, and if my daughter had not been there with me, I probably would have fallen on my knees and cried and cried. She said to me that she could tell I was really moved by being there again. About a week later, I was home, but being back in that place was stirring something in me. Once in a while, I go to the outpouring meeting that are held on Thursday evening, and I went on December 6th of last year, and I was talking with a man afterwards, and he mentioned the revival services that took place in Pensacola, Florida back in the 90s. I told him that I was there, and he said that he had never talked to anyone that had actually been there. That night, as I drove home in my mind, I went through what happened to me on February 12th, 22 years ago. Every time I do that, it just tears me up. It was late when I got home, and I thought to myself, tomorrow morning when I get up, I'm going to pray and ask God why he took me there and if I missed his reason. The next morning, December 7th, I asked God why he took me there and what purpose was it. I, was probably asked that, I have probably asked that question many times. What happened next has to be the power of the Holy Spirit because I could never do this before. I said to God, 
all of my dreams, all of my plans, all of my hopes and desires, I surrender them all to you. I just don't care anymore, as long as I have you. I spent the rest of that day off and on in prayer and watching videos from the encounter that I had with God. Saturday, I began to realize that God was by his Holy Spirit really doing something inside of me. I felt such a peace and calmness that I had not felt all year. The pain inside me from the summer and the fall was gone. The Spirit was working in my life and healing me of so much brokenness and pain. <laughs> he was restoring so much in me that it would take too much time now to explain it. I felt strength flowing into me and purpose was coming back as God, through his Holy Spirit, was speaking to me about why he took me to Florida and what his purpose was. I started searching for the books that I had bought back in the 90s. One of them was entitled, They Drank from the River But Died in the Wilderness. The author stated that so many people have encountered God by the moving of his spirit, but never asked God what the purpose of the encounter was. And so all they did was enjoy the encounter, but never fulfilled the purpose for it. There it was, the very thing that I had asked God for. The Holy Spirit was spoken to my heart so much, I have sensed of I have a sense of what his purpose is for taking me to Florida, but it is not fully defined. But it is becoming clearer as time goes by. And that is usually the, what happens. God shows enough for you to move and has expects you to move on, what, on that understanding before he shows more. I began leading, reading a lot of books by A.W. Tozer and Leonard Ravenhill. And, and if you know anything about those two authors, they're going to mess with you really hard. <laughs> I then I, and then I sensed that God wanted me to go away on a trip to with him and read and pray and just be with him and nobody else. I was gone in February and March for 18 days and read the Bible and other books and spent much time walking and praying. God spoke so much to me, it was quite overwhelming. On the way in March, I wondered how I would ever process all that I had read and heard from the Holy Spirit. When I got home, I was really, it was really hard to sit quietly and read the word and pray. I tried, but it was very difficult. I thought that I was just tired from it all and just needed a break. But the time went by. April came and then May, and I was still having a hard time reading and praying. I started to wonder what was wrong with me. The reality was that I was so overwhelmed with all that God had spoken to me and the things I had read that I lost my focus. I was running the race so well until I came home from that trip and I tripped and fell flat on my face. There's no other way to put it. I had taken my eyes off of God and looked at everything else, and it was too much for me. And I started to believe I could not do what he was asking. I started feeling depressed again, useless. I felt that I had forfeited everything, that the Holy Spirit had spoken to me from December 7, 2018 until I came home from that trip. I felt that I totally missed everything that God was trying to do in me and through me and that now there was no longer any hope and I would just die in the wilderness with no purpose. I don't know how, but God is relentless. There is a song that has these words, you won't relent until you have it all. I'll set you as a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my arms. For there is love that is strong as death, jealousy as demanding as a grave, 
and many waters cannot quench this love. You won't relent until you have it all. He has not given up on me. He will not relent his pursuit of me, nor will he relent his pursuit of you. A couple of weeks ago, the sermon about being overwhelmed in the destruction of Jerusalem could have caused the Israelites to give up if they had not kept their eyes on the goal ahead of them. The Holy Spirit, working relentlessly, began to help me to get my eyes back on God and not the destruction all around me. I've been reading some books by Francis Francois Fenlon, written at the end of the 1600s and the beginning of the 1700s. They are short letters to people he knew then. I can tell you that every time I struggled with something, I would read a chapter, and it was as if God wrote the letter specifically for me. This has been this way since I went on that 18-day trip. It tells me that God is serious about what he's doing in me and has not in, no intention of giving up on me. I'm not going to die in the wilderness. I did not forfeit everything. It is not hopeless. It is not useless. This may sound strange, but think about it. It is as if God has spoken to me and said, it was necessary for you to go through this that you might know the power of my grace and the power of my mercy and that my intentions are not thwarted by your failures. I have peace Amen. again. I have his joy again. I can say in my heart, because of what he has done, all of my dreams I surrender to you because your dreams for me are better. All of my plans I surrender to you because your plans are better. All of my desires I surrender because the desire for you is so much better. <clears throat> I am nobody special. He did not do all this for me just because I am somebody, because I am not. I am overwhelmed as to why he would love me and do all these things for me. I really can't understand it. I know this, that if you have felt like I have, useless, hopeless, depressed, having forfeited everything and without purpose, that those things are, the, are of the evil one, and he is the father of lies. Mm -hmm. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And it only depends on one thing, Jesus and his relentless love for you. Amen. If you believe... There is not a failure that can stand in the way of God's purpose for you because every sin, past, present, future, has been atoned for. His blood can cleanse everything and renew and restore you to the utmost. Surrendering your purpose, your plans, your desires, your dreams sounds scary, but put your faith to the test and do it. Who can see better the future for you than the one who inhabits eternity and loves you with a relentless love? Isaiah 64, 4 says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. God is up to something, and he's calling every one of you to, to himself and his purpose, and he's not going to relent. He is birthing something in you, and it will come forth. He has a promise for you in Isaiah 66, 9. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who give delivery shut the womb, says your God? He spoke this promise to me February 7, 1997, and he is speaking it again now. By the way, on February 7, 1997, I quoted to God as a prayer this passage from Isaiah 64.1. O God, that you would rend the heavens and come down to me, so that I would tremble at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, consume me, Lord, 
with the holy fire of your spirit. Little did I know that in five days he would answer that prayer literally. He's calling me back, but he is not just calling me. Last night after I prayed, God gave me this word. I believe that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows how to spread his arms out and gather everything that he has put in your heart to do from the first time he spoke to you in the past, even many years ago, even, you di- even if you did not hear it or understand it, and gather it all together and bring it to this point in time and begin to fulfill his destiny for you. But you must believe that there is nothing that can thwart God's purpose for you and walk by faith and surrender your heart, your will, emotions, thoughts, everything to him, and he will do it. He requires a complete trust that causes you to keep your eyes on him and not the circumstances around. A trust that he is involved in everything and that he is going to make even the worst work out for your good. It is in him we live and move and have our being and nothing else. Time does not bother God. The past, the present, the future do not pose a problem for God because he is above it all. Life Church has struck a destiny and it is for this season, this time, he has stretched out his arms and gathered the purposes of, his, of every person in this place and brought them here to fulfill his purpose and bring about what he has ordained that should be. He is calling and saying, believe, trust, lay down the doubts and fears and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Like an all-inclusive arrow with the purpose and destiny of each person, He has pulled back the bow and has released it to strike this very time. Seize this moment and don't let go. Run hard this race because the Holy Spirit is all around you, in you, empowering you, giving you understanding and wisdom. Do not grieve or resist the Holy Spirit. Prepare the way of the Lord for he is coming to bring light into the darkness, to restore the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the captive. Prepare the way for our restorer. Amen. Amen. God is doing some amazing work in the hearts of his people right here inside of Life Church. And uh, if God is doing something in you, uh, we want to hear about that. Um, I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 4. You can take your Bibles and just turn to chapter 4. I'm going to be around in there working through the sermon today, Um, and I'm going to start reading at verse 6 in just a moment here, but uh, in one of the the verses uh, just prior to that at the beginning of chapter 4, Sanballat, the enemy of the work that is being done on the wall in Jerusalem, asks a question, and he says, um, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? There's a, many of the commentators say that there's a sneer in this message and in the way that, ne- that he's talking to Nehemiah and to the Israelites here. Um, and he's trying to be very intimidating. Um, and I think the enemy's out there roaring like a lion, seeking whom he can devour, uh, trying to mess with a lot of you inside of Life Church. And I think the enemy is saying, Who are these feeble lifers? Who are these feeble people in Life Church and what are they doing? And trying to sneer at us and trying to intimidate us. 
But I believe that the Spirit of God is at work just as he is in Jack's heart. He's at work in your heart. He's doing some great things to strengthen us and to encourage us, uh, to bless us, and to unite us, to bring us together as the body of Christ inside of Life Church, uh, so that we can do this good work that he's called us to do. And so I want to encourage you today um, that you open your heart to whatever the Spirit is doing and let God move uh, in, inside of you uh, and move out from you uh, and then move out beyond this church as well into our community. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and let's read together beginning at verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near then came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. God's word. Amen. Well, let's back up just a little bit. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. We've talked a lot about the heart of Nehemiah, his passion, his desire uh, his willingness to, to get the burden of God, his willingness to go and be a part of everything. So he comes to Jerusalem. He's full of heart. He's full of prayer. He's full of faith. He's full of wisdom. He's full of a big, big vision, if you will. He's full of support from the king, and uh, he finally gets to his destination. And when he does, he begins to look at what he has in front of him. He begins to see what he has heard, and he begins to understand the depth of what has taken place in the city of Jerusalem. And so out of that, he begins to build his strategy and try to call the people together, if you will. All right, now, last Sunday, we talked a little bit about what happens when you move out with God. And the first thing that happens is the enemy shows up. The enemy begins to, as we say, rear his ugly head, okay? The enemy begins to to in some way give evidence, in some sort of tangible way, the enemy gives evidence that he is aware that you are moving forward and he wants very much to intimidate you. He wants very much to stop you from moving forward. And he will use whatever means he has available to him to do that. And often that comes in the form of fear. Uh, it comes in us being afraid of certain things that the enemy might be able to do or to bring against us. And that's exactly what the enemy would love, is for you to believe that the enemy is greater than God, 
and believe that what the enemy has in store for you can prevail over God and to believe that whatever the enemy does, it can destroy you in spite of God. But do you see how all of that's about the enemy and it's all lies about who and what the enemy is and what ability and power the enemy has? And so constantly the enemy is trying to get you to believe a deception. And if the enemy can deceive you and I and deceive us at a level that will paralyze us, then we'll never move out and we'll never be effective for God. And so with that, Nehemiah enters into the city. He begins to look around. He begins to look at everything that is there and everything that is not there. So he sees the walls that are broken down. He sees the gates that are burned with fire. And he knows that this job of rebuilding is not going to go forward without a lot of work. And, and, and it's not going to happen with a lot of unity and with the right people in the right places. And here's a deception of the enemy. We talked last week about just stepping out and moving out and the enemy rising up against you. But here's another deception of the enemy that he works in a lot of times. You and I could miss the call to move out and to do something for God simply by focusing on what is good. Simply by focusing on what is good. Nothing wrong with focusing on what is good but not at the expense of understanding what must be done, all right? And a lot of times we like to find comfortable places. A lot of times we like to find safe places where we can exist with God and where we can feel okay about ourselves. But there are times and seasons when God expects and wants us to look at things in the right perspective and see things just as they are, just as he called Nehemiah to do here, all right? Now, there were some good things that had gone on. Israel is in a bad place. The city of Jerusalem is in a bad place. The people in the city of Jerusalem are only seeing themselves as survivors. The gates and the walls are burned down, so the city is vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. There's a lot of things that Nehemiah is seeing because God is opening his eyes to see them. But here's a reality. They were back in Judah. They, they, were, they got home. The, the forced exile is over. They're not under that exile anymore, so even more of them could return home if they wanted to. The temple was built. It wasn't great again. It wasn't at the splendor and the glory that it once was before it was destroyed, but there was a temple. It was built. Sacrifices were being offered. Worship was being conducted. People were able to go into the temple and worship God on some level. It didn't have the glory and the magnitude that it once had, but the people could serve God. Progress was being made. It was slow, but there was progress. Things were happening. Things were moving forward. So there was, there was much to be thankful for in Jerusalem. But they still saw themselves as only survivors. And they were still vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And there was still much work to be done. I know how we think, like church. There's nothing that we like more. If I was going to describe like church, if someone was at a, a, 
a gathering that I was in, and they said, tell me what, describe Life Church to me in one sentence. I would say, oh, we are one crazy bunch of believers who love to get together, eat good food, hang out, talk about Jesus, and just enjoy excitement and passion with each other. And that's very true of us. We enjoy that. And I think that sometimes we as God's people can look back over time and look back over the journey and we can say, hey, it's been good. Like, we like to get together. We like to hang out together. We like to eat food together. We've got a nice building. You know, we used to be over there. Now we're over here. God's moved. God's done some good things. Actually, Life Church is in the best place it's ever been. We have a nice building. We have the land to expand. We have some money in the bank. Not enough, but we got money. All right? We're debt-free. We don't owe anybody a dime. We don't have a mortgage to deal with. We've been able to buy additional land. We've got people in Life Church who want to get involved and help with the expansion program. There's a lot of good things that are going on. If we're not careful, the enemy could tell us, even convince us, that, hey, you're doing all right. Why are you getting all bent out of shape about doing something? Just enjoy, enjoy the blessing. Well, no, we can't do that because that is not the way God speaks to Life Church. And that is not the way Life Church hears God. We have been blessed. We are a blessing to be a blessing. So there's more to be done. Here, this, is, this has to be the heartbeat of Life Church. There's still somebody lost in Sioux Falls. There's still somebody broken in Sioux Falls. There's still somebody in darkness in Sioux Falls. There's still somebody addicted in Sioux Falls. There's still somebody hungry in Sioux Falls. There's still somebody in shame in Sioux Falls. There's still brokenness in this city. And as long as it's there, we have to be a light. And we have to do whatever we can do to make a difference. Pushing back darkness and establishing the kingdom of God. So we cannot let the enemy bring us into a place of deception to say, well, it's better than it was. And maybe it's even good enough. And that we only look at what is good. Sometimes we've got to look at what is not good. Sometimes we've got to look at that that is broken down, like the towers and the walls and the burned gates. All right? And we've got to carefully study what is wrong around us. Now, some people do this really well. All right? Some people are just, they just like looking at what isn't right or what isn't good. That is not what I'm talking about here, all right? Not talking about you rising up in a critical spirit and just being critical about everything. Honestly, that's the last thing we need right now, okay? We don't need that, all right? We need you and I and all of God's people looking with an eye that can see what God's heart and God's burden is in our community right now. Looking outside our front door, not just looking in here and saying, oh, it's good. We got a good thing. Let's not mess it up. Let's not mess with it, all right? Because I'll be honest with you, whatever we do to grow as a body is going to change us. And the more we grow, the more we'll change. 
And so what we are right now today is not what we're going to be in the future. And yet God is not so interested in you and I staying right here where we are. God's intent is that we change. The, the, the spiritual sort of metaphor for that is God doesn't want to leave any one of you right where you are, spiritually speaking. God wants you to change. God's intent is that you and I are always growing, always changing, always coming into maturity in the kingdom of God. And so God doesn't want to leave you and I where we are. He doesn't want to leave Life Church where it is. And he certainly does not want to leave this community where it is. And so you and I have to look. We have to, we have to be willing to be used for the kingdom of God. And so God isn't looking for people who, who um, just sit or just get critical or just hang out or just looking for a good time. But God is looking for people with the right heart and the people that are ready to act. And the enemy would love to get you to just stay in a comfortable place. All right? The enemy would love to get you to believe that you're just all right, right where you are, and just to stay right there. And I want to challenge you and I on that, that, that no matter how good it gets in life, church, it's never so good that we shrink back from the duty that God has given to us. But rather we understand that everything that God has done for us and given to us, the purpose for that is for you and I to serve and to be a blessing to those around us. All right? So Life Church, what I'm saying to you today is that God has placed us here now for His purposes to be fulfilled. Now, we have to find out what that is. And as we are growing and as we are living out of a gospel-centered expansion... We need to discern what is it that God is calling us to do inside of our city and beyond, all right? And that's going to be very, very important for you and I, all right? As we look around us, as we see all of what God is doing, it's important for us to see it in a right way, all right? And so I want you to understand that what is happening in Life Church right now is so little about Life Church, so little about Life Church. Life Church, let's get over ourselves. All right, let's just, let's just go ahead and get over ourselves and begin to see God and how big he is and what he wants to do and really get his heart for this neighborhood and beyond. I don't know. I've told you this so many times, but I don't know what God wants to do exactly, but I know he wants to do something, and he wants to do something significant in people's lives around us. And God didn't bring you and I together for such a time as this without an intent and a purpose to do something that I think is extraordinarily spectacular for the kingdom of God. And you and I have to understand that we can do something, each one of us individually, but we'll do so much more together collectively in unity than any one of us could ever do alone. And therefore, we need each other as the body of Christ. And we need to come together and find out what this is that we need to do. And so, as we look around us and as we, we see, we see the goodness of God here and we see you all growing in relationships with one another and with the Lord and we see many of your victories over sin and we hear stories like Jack's today of God coming alive and reviving and renewing and all these kinds of things. As we look at those things, we have to keep in mind that this is not a place that is good to rest in, but this is a place to understand that as good as it is in here, it is terrible out there. And there is brokenness and heartache and shame and hurt and addiction and all kinds of darkness out there. And we are the light. 
We have that light, and we cannot hide it. We cannot be hiding what God has given to us to give to those around us. And so we have to get out there, and we have to look around. When I take a look at our children, and I know that we love them and that we care for them, I know that sometimes we look at our children and we see weaknesses in their character. We, we look at them, we evaluate them. We see their personalities. We wonder what God has for them. We wonder what God is going to be doing in them. And I think sometimes we fear and we, 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 we worry, what if they grow up and reject Jesus? What if they somehow get defiled a, a, along the way? What, what, if, what if their future is ruined? And it would be without God, right? But, but God wants to use us to train our children and, and to grow them up in the character of righteousness and holiness. When we look at our businesses and our careers and our career paths and all of that, we see really good things. We see, we see God blessing us and God using us for His glory. But sometimes we've got to take a, an honest look and say, is this really what God wants for me? Is this really where God wants me to be? And what is God calling me to do? And when we look at our church, we see, as we said, all these good things that are happening inside of Life Church, and we think of how good it could be. Um, and, but we can't get satisfied with that because we have to realize that even inside of the church, there is brokenness. Even inside of the church, there are walls that are, that, are, that are pulled down and gates that are burned. And I think that if you and I took a tour of our own lives, as the Holy Spirit would lead us, we have that kind of Nehemiah tour where we just take some time and we just get alone and we just let, let God show us our heart and show us who we really are. We would see many broken down portions. We would see burned gates in our own lives in this sort of figurative way of looking at it through the eyes of Nehemiah and the story of Nehemiah. There's not a single one of us here that doesn't have a place that's broken. There's not a single one of us here that doesn't have some entry point where the enemy has burned and there's an open vulnerability to the attack of the enemy. We are human. But here's the thing. God is faithful. And God has given us the ability to love our children and see them correctly. God has given us the ability to, to look at our careers and our futures and see them correctly. God has given us the ability to look at our church and see it correctly. God is giving you the ability, just as he did Jack, to see your own heart and to see it correctly. And the intent of God is that for every one of us there would be a rebuilding. There would be an opportunity for restoration there would be an opportunity for us to mend whatever that place is in our own lives. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't stop there, and that's not the picture of the true church. The church isn't just you and I coming in and being able to see all of these facets and aspects of our own lives and being able to see God being able to move on those aspects or those facets and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. And then we can say, okay, we're good, we're whole, we got it. Amen. Let's just enjoy the Lord now. No. God's intent is that there's one more step, and that is that we look, we peer out beyond where we are into this community. We look into this neighborhood, and there we see the brokenness. There we see the walls burned with fire. There we see the vulnerability of the enemy coming in and taking people out. And when we see that, that's when we get the burden of the Lord. That's when God moves in a powerful way, and that's when we have to say yes. Until we get there, we have not fully moved to the place we need to be so that we can be used by God. And I want to challenge you and I 
There have been many times and seasons in Life Church where we've tried to move out in different ways. But right now, we are enjoying the benefit. We're enjoying the blessing of the Lord. We're having a good time in the Lord. And God is strengthening us and God is blessing us. But there is purpose in that blessing. There is purpose in that strengthening. God isn't doing what he's doing in our hearts like he did in Jack's heart that he has just described to you, spoken to you about, without some kind of purpose. There is a great purpose in Nehemiah going to Jerusalem and being a part of what God was doing. And the enemy understood that. The enemy realized that for Nehemiah to step out and move in that direction, to actually help uh, Jerusalem rebuild the walls, was a dangerous thing for the enemy. And it angered the enemy. It messed the enemy up. All right. And so the enemy actually came out against Nehemiah. Not only did we see him early on in chapter 2, we saw Nehemiah move and head for Jerusalem. And when he did, the Bible mentions Sanballat and Tobias and that they became upset that this was happening, that someone was coming to Jerusalem. But then Nehemiah reaches Jerusalem, and he takes an assessment, an honest look at what is right there. And he doesn't just see the good and rest there and say, well, it's not as bad as I thought. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll get by. We'll get through this. Let's have a quick cleanup, and let's go home. He understood that there's some serious devastation here, and something has got to be done about it. And what Nehemiah understood was that I have to do something about this. This isn't just something where I just trust that God will raise up someone to do this. I have to be a part of this work that is being done. Folks, when Goliath came against the Israelites and he began to taunt them out on the desert plain and he began to challenge the Israelites and want to go at battle against the king of Israel, a young shepherd boy rose up. He didn't rise up because he was overly smart. Most people would say that for a young shepherd boy to come against a giant would be a very stupid thing. But he listened to these tauntings of the enemy over and over for a little while. And then this is the, this is the question that young David posed to an army and a king. He said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause here? David is saying, this isn't about you, guys. It's not about you, O king. It's not about me. This is about the name of the Lord. This is about the kingdom of God. Is there not a cause that we are all for here? Are we not together for the same purpose here? And that is to name the name of God above every other name and declare His glory and His power in the earth. And are we going to let this man stand here though he is big in his image and his persona and his voice? I, I ask you, is there not a cause, Life Church? Right here, right now, the enemy is wreaking havoc in this city and all around us. And there's brokenness right on our doorstep. Is there not a cause? And I understand your figurative walls are first and foremost of importance. And don't miss this. David and I are called to pastor you. We're called to shepherd you, all right? 
We're called to be there for you and to build you up and to encourage you and to bless you. We want to pastor you really well. But if we pastor you to the point where you just really start to feel good about yourself, then we have done a disservice to you in doing that. God's intent is that we bring you to the place where you are challenged to not let your own flesh and your own desire rule over your spirit so that you are in the same kind of damage that Jerusalem is in. Proverbs 25, 28 says it this way, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. My friend, we are going to be restorers of the wall. We're going to start in our own heart. But as God strengthens us and establishes us and builds us up as, God people, as God's people, we're going to step out. We're going to move out beyond ourselves. And we're going to move into those places where God wants and desires to use us for His glory. Here is something else the enemy will do. When you get to that place, when you're feeling that you're strong enough and that you can move out and then you step out, the enemy is going to rise up against you and taunt you. The enemy is going to speak lies to you about your own identity and who you are. And in that place, you can only listen to the Lord and what he says about you. This passage I read to you said that Nehemiah is building the wall with the people. And it says that for the most part, across the wall is about halfway up of what it needs to be. In other words, the job is about half done. There's several other ways that the enemy is working here on the people of Israel, getting them to feel overwhelmed. And the enemy will do that to you. We can't do this. There's just so much rubble. That's what the people said. We're, we're failing here, and we can't do this. There's just too much trash and dirt and rubble here for us to build this city back. So they're very overwhelmed, and they're feeling the fatigue of being overwhelmed. And the enemy would love nothing than to make you feel overwhelmed about what God is calling us to do. Just in the neighborhood, forget the beyond. It could be very overwhelming just right here in what God is asking us to do. But this is what God is asking. He's asking us to make an impact. He's asking us to make a difference right here, right where we are. And the job is about half done. And it says that Sanballat shows up. And what does he do? He literally, verbally assaults the Israelites. And he doesn't pick one and pull one out over here, one single Israelite. He goes to the, the source. He goes right to Nehemiah. He shows up right in Nehemiah's face. And he brings an army with him. It's not just one guy. And, and it's, this isn't a one-on-one. -on -one. He literally has an army there behind him that shows up on the edges of Jerusalem, and he calls Nehemiah out. He does it in a unique way. He does it by asking questions of those who are with him. Who are these people? What, what are they thinking they're doing? 
Can you just feel how he's intimidating and making fun of them? What do these feeble Jews think they're going to do? Do they think they're going to build a wall? Do you see how foolish this is? The wall's halfway built. You doggone right they're going to build a wall. They're building it. You know, this isn't a time to fight with the enemy, okay? Do they think they're going to build a wall? Can they build a wall in a day? No, but they will in 52. But did you see how the enemy, the enemy will speak things in a way that it's intimidating or shaming or belittling? The enemy will get you to question your ability. And here's the clincher. Do they think they're going to build this wall with all of these stones and this rubble? These stones are burnt. Do they, do they really think they can build a real wall with burnt stones? The enemy of your soul would love nothing more than to convince you that you are inadequate and disqualified to do the work of the kingdom. This is what I ended with last week. The enemy wants you to disqualify yourself. The enemy wants you to become convinced that you can't do whatever God has called you to do. The enemy wants you to become convinced that you are so scarred with some kind of identity that is from your history past that you cannot fully function in the kingdom of God and hold your place. These are tactics and lies of the enemy. And he would want to get you to disqualify yourself and step out of the mix. Friend, you cannot do that. Brother, sister, you cannot do that. You see, every stone was needed. Every stone was necessary. Every one of you in Life Church, it is necessary for you to do something. This will sound terse, and I'm okay with the risk. If you're just going to sit in here on your behind and not do anything, you should get off your behind and go find somewhere else to be. Because God needs you. And God has put his spirit inside of you. And for you to hold that is a disservice and a dishonor to God. There's not a single one of you that can find enough excuses to convince me that God cannot use you. And I'm pretty convinced that the intent of God is to use you corporately together as a body. we got to stop. My time is up. Do you hear what the Spirit is speaking today? God is calling you to a full identity in Him. In 2 Peter, it says that you are living stones being built together as a house, as a temple for the glory of God, to proclaim the glory of God to others. You are being built for such a time as this to serve in the kingdom of God. And God wants so much to use you to do that. Worship team, whoever, can you come up here, please? I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to tell you. I, I, I don't have the words to say to you.
what I want to say to you. But please, don't count yourself out. Please don't disqualify yourself. Don't step away from what God has called you to do. You be everything that God has called you to do because God has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness and God has given you a new identity in Him. God has made everything that was wrong right. God has taken away everything that was bad and given you good. God's intent for you is for you to come up and be redeemed. God's redemption covers every aspect of your life, every facet of who you are and your identity is in Christ alone and nothing else and nothing in your history can disqualify you. Nothing in your history can keep you or separate you from the love of God. Nothing in your history can cause you to give up your destiny. You do all of that only by choice. And if the enemy convinces you, then he is one. You cannot sit here and believe the lies of the enemy. You have to live outside of the opposition of the enemy, knowing fully who you are in Christ, and live in that and absolutely nothing else. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Let me give you a minute just to think in your heart, and the team is going to lead you in a song, all right? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. All authority and power is in the name of Christ alone and nothing else. We come never in our own strength or our own merit. We certainly have no righteousness of our own. We come to you, Father, with everything that we are now and all of the history that is behind us. Father, would you help us that today we are no longer defined by anything that we bring today, but we are renewed and strengthened. We are encouraged. We are set free. We are made right. We're given identity through the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. We ask you, Father that you would lift us up out of the rubble of this life, whatever that has been in the past, and that you would set us in place as a part of this that you are building today as living stones, that we may glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.